Eventually, we're going to get to Genesis 32, if you want to open your Bible. Genesis 32. We're going to look at the life of Jacob this morning and how God used one of his unfathomable ways to grip Jacob's attention. And I think what we just sang was what Jacob needed to learn, and that's why he wrestled with the Lord all night long until God got his attention, and he did get his attention. The uh, theme verse for these messages that we've done, and today is the last, has been Psalm 18, verse 6. I'm going to read it, and if you want, you can say it with me. Psalm 18, verse 6 says, In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my my cry came before him even to his ears. Say that with me if you'd like. Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress I called unto the Lord... And cried out to my God, he heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Um, That's been a theme verse for us. We have done a group of messages called Desperate for God uh, with several objectives. Um, One was to guide us to various portions of scripture, um, perhaps that you haven't read in a while. Maybe some of the biblical characters and their stories, and maybe their story got your attention, and that made you read a few chapters before and a few chapters after. That's always a good thing. To help us identify also and recognize with biblical characters that we find ourselves in desperate situations that were similar to theirs. Um, we're not alone. Help us see that we're not alone when difficulties and challenges come our way. Uh, we find significant difficult difficulty in the lives of many throughout Scripture. You are not alone. Doesn't matter what you're walking through today. So don't be alone. Um, our enemy would like to make you think you're alone. You're not. Uh, to help us see the importance of being God-focused, not just in a desperate time, but all of the time. Because if I'm God-focused and that's the norm of my life, I recognize that it's by His grace, it is because of His goodness, but it also requires spiritual disciplines. I get that. But when I hit the desperate time, then I'm already on this God-focused plane um, rather than trying to climb up to that when I'm in a desperate time. Um, To arm us as believers with weapons for spiritual warfare is one of our goals as well. Um, And we have seen uh, that happen. We've learned of crying out to God through David and Hannah and others. We saw Rahab um, was taught about siding with God because of a genuine fear of the Lord that she was learning, simplistically listening to and obeying Jesus. The demon-possessed man gives us that example. Resolving to remain faith-filled and willing to suffer would be the story of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego fasting with the goal of drawing near to God. Esther and Mordecai demonstrated that. Believing God regardless of the obstacles would be Nicodemus. It would cost him something. Reminding myself of hope in the Lord, we learn from Psalm 42 and 43. Having a heart that's tender to and focused on God, we learn from Emma and from Mary. All right. And uh, thank you, Emma, for your willingness. Um, there are other tools and weapons, if you will, for spiritual battle that we find ourselves in. Don't think you're not in one. If thing is, things are going too easy, then it's going too easy. All right. 
Um, we just need to tighten our belt and be a little closer to uh, the Lord and the battle that he's in. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the weapons of our warfare are not flesh and blood, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We could find many, many more examples. We haven't, we haven't exhausted the examples. We could find many more examples of biblical personalities who were, who were um, experienced a, experiencing a desperation for God um, in their journey in life, as well as those who picked up spiritual weapons. And let me encourage you, as you're reading your Bible, uh, doing your devotions, to read the stories and think, you know what? That's a person who was desperate for God. What was the tool that God used for them to help them in their spiritual journey? This morning, we're going to look at Jacob wrestling with God all night long. And we see this in Genesis 32. It's one of his unfathomable ways of um, uh, dealing with his creation. To be honest, I wish I had answers to some of the questions that I had about this particular wrestling match, but I don't. Um, And I don't think I'm supposed to create them either. But I tell you what we can do. We can make some incredibly significant observations. So what we're going to do is we're going to read it. Then we're going to walk through Jacob's life up to this point to get an understanding of some of the dynamic that was going on and why the Lord would wrestle with him all night long. Then we're going to make a few comments about the text. And then I'd like to give us a warning if you choose to wrestle with God. And I'm not saying don't choose to wrestle with God. I just want to give you a warning that if you do choose to wrestle with God, you need to have your eyes open. And so we'll take a look at that as well. Jacob wrestled with God. Let's look at Genesis chapter 32, verse 22. It says this. He arose that night, and I'll give us some background in a minute. He arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them, sent them over the brook, and sent them and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him, and he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob answered, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Jacob is one tenacious, determined individual. This guy has gone through, he began in a lot, he's gone through a lot, and he goes through a lot on this particular night as well. And he'll go through more. He is determined, he is persistent, he doesn't give up. He pursues his own interests, not always in a spiritually healthy way. Let's not, let's not make him out to be something that he is not. Um, but he is resolved. Um, his, by definition, his name means to supplant 
or to take someone else's place, usually on purpose. And so if I were to be supplanted this morning, I came with a message that was prepared and Joshua wanted to muscle his way in here. And so he'd come up here and take my microphone and just kind of nudge me over. That would be a picture of Jacob. Okay, that's what his name means to supplant, to defraud, to deceive. This man found himself in a literal wrestling match with God. We're not talking about Jacob wrestling with sin or you and I wrestling with sin, that's different, though it does seem feasible that in part um, the Lord's motive for wrestling with, with this man was because of his sinful, selfish disposition in life, and he needed Jacob's full attention. Jacob's background. I'm going to go through quite a few different passages just to give us a little bit of Jacob's background to, remember, to remind us of some of the significant things that Jacob has been through, who he was, the challenges that he has had, the fears that he has. Jacob and Esau are the first recorded twins in Scripture. Their mother, Rebekah, Isaac wife, Isaac's wife was barren until he prayed for her. You could find that in chapter 25 of Genesis, verse 1. And I'm just going to say the chapter and verse, and if I mean something other than Genesis, just assume I mean Genesis. Um, God was gracious and kind. She was uh, impregnated. The two boys struggled, it says, even in her womb. Um, the children struggled together within her. And she said, if this is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So not only do you have these two brothers and their personal situation that's going on, but you've got these two nations that are going on as well. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Even their pre-birth struggle in the womb foreshadows later conflict that they were going to have. He wouldn't even let his brother be born by himself. He grabbed a hold of his heel, and as he came out, he came out with him. And that's what we find Jacob's beginning to be. Jacob was different than his brother. When the brothers grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And I'm not saying follow the parenting skills of Isaac and Rebekah. They didn't do very well, and these boys had some struggles as a result of it as well. So learn from their failures. In Malachi 1, God would even say, I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated and laid waste to his mountain and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Jacob's would finagle or trick or manipulate Esau for his birthright. Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. He was exhausted. Esau said to, his, to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. 
Esau said, I'm about to die. I'm just so hungry. I'm going to die. And he said, I'm about to die. Of what use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him, sold him his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. And then Esau despised his birthright. There were some things that came with the birthright that he was willing to so easily give up for a bowl of soup because he was just dying of hunger. Jacob also deceived and fooled his father Isaac out of Esau's blessing with his mother Rebekah's help. Not a great example, moms. Jacob had some character issues, as did his mother Rebekah. Chapter 27, when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, and he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I'm old. I don't know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow. Go out in the field, hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die." I'm going to die. Go out and get me some wild game. Fix it the way you fix it. Bring it to me. Let it be a last blessing for me. And I'm going to bless you as a result of it. Listen to what mom did. Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord uh, before the Lord before I die. Now therefore my son obey my voice as I command you, go to the flock, bring me two good young goats that I may prepare them from them a delicious food for your father such as he loves and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies but Jacob said to Rebekah his mother behold my brother Esau is a hairy man and I am a smooth man perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing and his mother said to him let your curse be on me my son only obey my voice and go bring them to me Can you imagine life in that home with that mom manipulating the way she did? And she wasn't the only one that did it. And yet in the big picture of things, there were two nations in her womb, and it was God's plan, and that doesn't justify her lack of character, which she demonstrated a lack of character. Rebecca would cook food for Jacob to give to his father, who could no longer see. She would dress Jacob in Esau's clothes so he smelled like his brother. She would use the goat skin on his skin so Isaac would be fooled into thinking it was Jacob. Isaac was suspicious, but once he kissed him and smelled him, he was convinced it was Esau, though it wasn't, and Isaac blessed him. And part of that blessing was, let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be, be Lord over your brother and make your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Of course Jacob's going to need an all-night wrestling match with the Lord to try and clear this kind of junk up. And that's what the Lord gave him because he was the one that needed that. Not long after that, Esau came to his father with a meal prepared only to discover he had been tricked by his brother. Isaac said, your brother came deceitfully. He has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Is he not rightly named deceit? Is he not rightly named for what he does? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. Behold, now he's taken away my blessing. He begged his father for a blessing only to find that there was none to have. 
And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept bitterly. Now Esau hated Jacob, it says in Genesis 27, verse 41, because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother. That's how much strife there was in this family. I mean, he had a manipulative mother. His name was Deceit. He pursued his own interests and and usually obtained the things that he wanted, regardless of the method that he needed to use to get them. He would dis, he he would receive a promise from God in the future. Jacob would during a dream. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Is that mercy and grace? I mean, that's all that that can be. There wasn't anything merited. There wasn't anything that was righteous about the things that Jacob had done. It wasn't because of their wonderfulness that God loved Israel, the nation, or you or I. Can I put that in there as well? It's called mercy and grace for a reason. We need the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God because all by ourselves, Romans 3 tells us, we don't pursue him. I pursue sin and what pleases Jerry. You pursue sin and what pleases you. Yours might look a little prettier, might smell a little prettier, but it isn't any better before the Lord. And neither was Jacob's. And Jacob yet received a promise from the Lord. He would later marry Leah and Rachel. His brother said, I'm going to kill him. So his mom said, you need to run. And so he ran. Uh, To shorten the story, he would later marry Leah and Rachel, Laban's daughters, Leah, by the trickery of her father, and in time Rachel also, Leah would bear him sons, Rachel unable to have any, so she gave Jacob her servant so she could have sons through her servant. Leah thought, you know what, she did that, I can do that too. So she gave Jacob her servant so he could have sons through her servant as well. Um, Leah would do the same. Um, Twelve sons in all, though only eleven have been uh, born up to the point of the story of Genesis 32. The ten who would make up ten tribes of Israel, and then Joseph would get a double portion completing the twelve tribes of Israel. Jacob prospered much in his father-in-law's house, though they were, there were significant difficulties. And after some drama, he was set free to go back to his own land. Significant drama. But he was afraid because there was bad blood between him and his brother. And he remembers that my brother said, I'm going to mourn my father, and then I will kill my brother because he stole from me. He tricked me. Genesis 32, the family dynamic comes to a head. Before his wrestling match with God, and we're going to get there in a second, he had been favored by his mother since childhood and taught to manipulate and to lie. And that's how he got through life. He had manipulated his brother and conned him out of his birthright. He had deceived his father and received his brother's blessing. He had run for his life from his angry brother who sought to kill him. He, had, he, he was manipulated and taken advantage of by his father-in-law, Laban. He finally began a journey to the land God had promised him, only to remember, my brother is seeking my life. After sending messages to Esau, messengers to Esau, the word he received back is, Esau is coming to approach us, and he's bringing 400 men with him. This guy was as scared as scared can get. I've tricked him, 
I've stolen from him. I've manipulated. I've gotten the blessing that it was intended to be his, and I got it, and he's seeking my life, and now I'm coming back into the land, and my brother is coming after me, and he's got 400 men with me. Then Jacob, it says, was greatly afraid and distressed. He wasn't afraid. He was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks then the camp that's left will escape. So I'm going to divide my stuff into two big piles, one over here, and I'll send it this way, and I'll put one over here, and I'll send them this way, and if Esau comes to kill me and he gets these, well, then at least these survive. But if he comes this way to get me and he kills me and he kills these, well, then at least these survive. That's how scared this guy is. He's just greatly afraid. He cried out to God. We've seen that before. And you can read it, uh, chapter 32, verse 9. I think let's read it together. I think this is Jacob beginning to become a humble man, beginning to recognize that it isn't about him and his scheming and what he does. Verse 30, chapter 32, verse 9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, return to your country, to your kindred, that I may uh, do you good. I'm not worthy of I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. That's humility. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan. Now I've become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mother and the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which can be numbered without, which cannot be numbered without multitude. So he spent the night and prepared a present for his brother. This is quite the present when you think about it hoping to appease him from the anger that he remembered from deceiving his brother because of his birthright and because of the blessing. This is the present, verse 14. 200 female goats and 20 male goats. Wouldn't you all like to have 200? We might not want the goats, but the money value is there, okay? 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. That's an incredible present. He's trying to buy his brother's favor, soften him up just a little bit so that idea of I'm going to kill Jacob uh, flees his mind. These he handed over, verse 16, to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servant, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first one, Esau, my brother, meets you, and asks you, to whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these ahead of you? You shall say to him, They belong to your servant Jacob. They're a present sent to my lord Esau. Moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third, and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You, you, shall say, uh, you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us, for he thought I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. I have tricked him so much. I have taken such significant things from him that I'm just going to flood him with goodness. People that are going to say it's yours, 
and Jacob is coming after you, and it's yours, and Jacob is coming after you, and it's yours, and Jacob is coming after you. He's trying to buy this guy's heart and his peace. He's cried out to God for him as well. Verse 21, so the present passed ahead of him. Look at this. He himself stayed that night in the camp. That was what he did to try and appease Esau, but now he's going to meet God. Maybe he can buy his way out of Esau's anger, but you don't buy your way out of not pleasing the Lord. He sent his two wives away, their servants, his 11 children. Benjamin wasn't born yet. This is what happened that night. Chapter 32, verse 24. He was alone. No noise. No distractions. No cell phone. No animals. No kids running around. And that's where God came to Jacob when he was alone. And I got to stop and ask you a question. Do you ever get alone with God? Not on the highway driving. I'm not talking about praying while you're driving. That's fine. That's good. Keep your eyes open, please. But I mean alone, alone. No distractions. No TV. No ding from messenger. Nothing. You and God. That is where God approached Jacob alone. Some of us don't even know how to be alone. If I'm alone... I've got to have the music on because to be still inside of my mind might just be too troubling. And God might want to do a work. I want to invite you to try it. 10 minutes, 15 minutes. No time limit. Alone with God. And a man, it says, wrestled with him until the break of day. I think we're going to see that this is a theophany is what's called. It's a, an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ uh, because he saw God face to face. And Moses later would tell us nobody gets to see God face to face and live. And yet Jacob did live. Verse 28, it says, you have striven with God. Jacob would say, I've seen God face to face in verse, 20, verse 30. And yet my life has been delivered. Hosea chapter 2, 750 years later, continues to write about this story. And he said, in his strength, in Jacob's strength, he struggled with God, yet he struggled with the angel, angel of the Lord, I believe, and prevailed. He wept and sought favor from him. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And I want to suggest that God went to Jacob. It wasn't that Jacob was going to God, let's arm wrestle or do an MMA match. God went to Jacob because Jacob had a critical, significant need in his life, God had him pegged for a significant role in the nation's life and would even change his name this night and one other time as well would even change his name. So God went to Jacob when he was all by himself. God knew the need of the hour. He found Jacob at just the right time and just the right circumstance. And can I suggest that there isn't a need of the hour that you and I have that God isn't aware of also. Turn the radio off and get alone with God when it's your need. Verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, could God have pinned Jacob in this wrestling match? I mean, like, you know, just that quick. Of course he could have. 
Jacob needed an all-night wrestling match. Could God have made him tap out if it was an MMA match? Of course he could have. He created everything from his voice. Of course he could have put this man into submission. When the man saw he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So here I am wrestling with the Lord, and he touches my hip, and it throws my socket out of place. And so I continue wrestling with the Lord as I'm limping on my... This guy is tenacious. This guy is significantly determined. It's suggested by some, and it sounds reasonable, that Jacob was so manipulative and so deceptive and so self-focused and reliant upon himself that for a complete spiritual surrender, he needed an all-night wrestling match with the Lord. That's what it took to get Jacob's attention. For Abraham, it was different. For Moses, it was different. For Moses, it was a burning bush. For Esther, it was probably the thought that my people are going to be completely annihilated. That's all she needed. And she was willing to risk her life to go into the king. But Jacob needed an all-night wrestling match with the Lord. What is it for you? Just turn up the radio. Make a little more noise. Bring the animals in. Bring the kids in. Let's just get some distractions so I don't have to pay attention to this. But then we don't get to the place where God wants us to get to spiritually. And Jacob got there. Verse 26, Then he, the Lord, said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Get the picture of this. Jacob is wrestling with the angel of the Lord, got a grip on him and says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. That is determination. And, it, and God blessed him as a result of it. Is that too bold for you and I? I don't think so. I think we're just supposed to be really, really, really careful if we approach the Lord that way. It cost Jacob a limp. Every step he took is what it cost him. There was a reminder. He said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. Jacob had a, he had a grip on him. He demanded a blessing. Is that too strong? He demanded a blessing. In the midst of all of his shortcomings and his faults, he is one determined individual to get this blessing from the Lord. Verse 27, he said to him, he, Jacob said to him, what is your name? Excuse me, he, the Lord, said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Prevailed doesn't mean he won. It doesn't mean he pinned the Lord in the wrestling match. But what he did is he endured. He withstood it. He had endured his wrestling matches with men, his brother, Laban, his father-in-law. He had prevailed in this wrestling match with the Lord as well. He endured it. He withstood it. You held on to God and said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him, verse 29. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, 
saying, for I have seen God face to face. That's what the meaning of that word means. And yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him. And as he passed Penuel, a place, he was limping because of his hip. Every step he took, he was remembering when I wrestled with the Lord. I think he got humility that night. Instead of being deviant and manipulative and conniving, he learned submission to the Lord. I don't know if he limped for the rest of his life. It doesn't really indicate it one way or another. But it was significant enough that all of Israel doesn't eat that part of a slain animal anymore. It was significant enough that 750 years later, Hosea writing about it remembered Jacob and the limp that he had in his hip as well. And every step that he took, he limped. So let me ask us a question. Would God do that today? I mean, not the all-night wrestling match like Jacob had. And then let me tell us a story. We know Michael Busnitz. Michael Busnitz is a pilot that we, um, that we uh, support that flies uh, in Mexico. And Michael got his training at Calvary Bible College. And while he was at Calvary, there was a professor that was there that taught aviation. And when I went to Calvary after I got saved in 1980, I was there, and I heard this same professor give his testimony one day during chapel. Not an eloquent speaker, just a regular old farmer kind of a guy, but it was gripping. This man's testimony was, God wanted me to surrender to him in ministry. He wanted me to be a pilot as a missionary, and I didn't want to go. And I told him I would not go. This is his testimony, not my testimony. And I told him I would not go. He was haying one day in a field years later, and he got his arm stuck in the hay baler. No one around. All he could do was yell, hold himself back so it didn't pull him in. He ended up losing his arm as a result of it. And there in that field with his arm stuck in a hay baler, wrestling with God, he surrendered to the Lord. And afterwards, he started teaching aviation to the missionaries that would fulfill the place that he felt God had for him. Could God do that today? Manifold ways. Anything he does, any way he wants to do it. And the way he got Abraham's attention was different than the way he got Jonah's attention, which was different than the way he got Jerry's attention, which is different than the way he got your attention or David's attention or Bathsheba's, anybody's attention. He's creative. He has everything at his resource. The sun rose as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Every step, every step he took after wrestling with the Lord, he remembered. I don't know if it was a perpetual lifelong limp, but he knew it that morning. He knew it that day. I've wrestled with the Lord, and he said I prevailed, but it sure hurts an awful lot. And he got the blessing. Wrestling with God. Desperate for something. Let's wrap up this whole series. Hezekiah begged God for more time. And God said, I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. And he added 15 years to Hezekiah's life. It cost him. We'll get to that in a second. Abraham, Genesis 18 boldly negotiated with the angel of the Lord for the righteous that were in Sodom. 
Do you remember that story? Lord, the Lord said, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And he, and it was, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gabor because their wickedness has come up before me. I'm going to go down and check it out. If that's the way it is, I'm going to destroy them. And Abraham, recognizing his nephew Lot was there, started negotiating with the angel of the Lord, God, Jesus, pre-incarnate. If there were 50 righteous people in Lot, would you destroy everything or would you leave these 50 people? And then he goes so far as to say, far be it from you because you're righteous and you're righteous in the way that you judge. You wouldn't destroy those 50. No, I won't destroy it for those 50 people. What about 45, Lord? Would you do it if there were 45? And then he goes to 40, and then he goes to 30, and then he goes to 20, and I'm thinking, God's going to kill this guy. Then he goes down to 10, and he spared the righteous. What a boldness in the Lord. Should we be that bold before the Lord? It's okay. We're invited. We see examples, but do it wisely. Be extremely careful. We're talking about creator God that touched his hip and he limped every step he took. Extraordinary boldness with the Lord. Not just claiming what God had already given in faith, but going beyond that and getting things from the Lord. God told Moses after 40 days and 40 nights, up on the mountain, writing his commandments with his finger on tablets of stone. He told Moses, Moses, you need to get down there. They're going crazy. That's Jerry's version. They were making golden calves. They were doing wicked things. And Moses went down there and got so mad that he, he threw the tablets that God had. What a, what, a, what a memento. But he threw the tablets down and broke them. And then God said, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to destroy all of them, and I'll make my nation from you. And Moses talked him down. I don't get that, but that's what it says. Incredible boldness. Exodus 32. A warning. I'm not saying don't be bold in the way you approach the Lord. I'm saying be wise in the way you approach the Lord. If you have a reckless faith, just be careful that you're wise in the midst of your requests of the Lord. Maybe the death of a spouse or a child has caused you to wrestle with understanding who God is and why he allows some really difficult situations in life. Just be careful. He's God. Or a recent diagnosis that you got. Or past affliction by someone evil who maybe did something evil. Just be careful. Why something's going on in your life, whether it's health or not. Be bold. In the Lord, but be extremely wise and careful. There are examples in Scripture of people who were bold, desperately bold for God. But I want us to realize this morning that if we run quickly to, bold, to, to being bold before the Lord, we need to do so carefully. It cost every one of them something. It cost them. Jacob limped every step he took. He remembered his night with the Lord. Abraham was required his son Isaac Yet God was merciful. Jonah wrestled with God and walked away saddened because he didn't like the way God treated the Ninevites. Oh, woe is me. 
Moses was required a high level of accountability and wasn't allowed to go into the promised land because of it. David withdrew from everything, people, food, drinking, hoping God would have mercy on his baby, and he didn't get it. We could give another example of bold, we could give other examples of bold desperation with God costing some. Hannah, Hannah would, Hannah would say, God, just give me a son. And God gave her Samuel, and the cost was he would, after four or five years old, would go to the temple and he would be raised there from his life from, from, from that day on. It costs something. I got a feeling that if we're going to go to the Lord boldly, we need to be very careful, have the biblical parameters, recognize that there are some things that we ask of the Lord that aren't addressed, and maybe he gives them, maybe he chooses not to. But we need to be careful, because you might walk away limping. Jacob did, wrestling with God, because I'm desperate for him. Not just, I want to know him better. I'm talking desperation, desperation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, desperation. Those that, Isaiah, being sawed in half, absolute desperation for the Lord. Psalm 18, verse 6 says this, In my distress, in my anguish, in my affliction, I called upon the Lord, cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. We sometimes walk in some really uncomfortable situations. And a lot of times we know Scripture and we know scriptural principles, but don't allow what we know to cause us to not be challenged by who you are. We don't want to go ah-biblical. We don't want to go extra-biblical. But we want to know you and have every resource available that you have for us in every situation that we have in life. Are there those that, that go to extremes? Absolutely. We don't want to be there. We want to be exactly where you want us to be. Are there those that are so afraid to be bold to God that they might not ask it? Yes, we don't want to be there either. So work in our hearts, work in our lives. Show us the manifold goodness of God, your absolute creativity. Give us these examples and show us how we might re- request from you boldly when we're desperate and receive. And recognize that you are absolutely enough. And we pray that in Jesus' name.